Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, she was a rising star in the art world until she fell from a New York high rise. Did her husband, the legendary sculptor, push her out the window? We'll talk about the podcast, Death of an Artist. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Kevin, I will not be defenestrating you after this podcast. Defenestration is the best word. I was, I, are you so excited to use that word during this review? Yes, I did. You see, I wrote it down in my notes. No, I did. All caps. I did all not. Caps, I didn't yeah. actually scroll forward that far, but I was like, anticipating that you would all be right, looking forward using right. that word. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of this first sequel in the Piper Green universe, The Final Curtain. Hello, Laura Bricker. Hello, Rebecca Lavoy. Well, I'm so excited to have you here, Laura. I have my book in hand, it's been signed. <gasps> Uh, I'm bringing it on our vacation at the end of this month. I cannot wait to dig in and right. uh, learn who did it. Congratulations. Thank you, Rebecca. I do love killing off people in my town. Mm. <laughs> I wish I could do that. And finally, <laughs> our resident doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast. That's about UFOs. I really recommend it. And our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right, so Kevin, this is Thursday's podcast. Yes, it is. What is coming up on Monday's show? Well, on Monday, we're going to be talking about uh, the Peacock series, A Friend of the Family. Wow. That's the uh, story based on the abducted in plain sight case. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, that's one to look <laughs> forward to. Oh Wait, is that the one where like he went to Mexico and married her and came back and slept in the same bed and all that fucked up and shit? And the aliens yeah. and the uh, oh god, the hand job and all that stuff. Oh Some god. Release. All right. Oh, so sorry. Kevin, we've got something to get done real quick. Should we just go ahead and uh, get that done before we start the show? Yeah, I wanted to thank everybody who donated to my Walk a Mile in Their Shoes walk last week. We raised over $5,000, and actually I was, with your help, the number one individual fundraiser, and I promised I would read off all the names. Now, Rebecca's going to have to help me, so I'm just going to start right now with thank yous to Melissa Lang, Rebecca Epstein, Manish Mystery, Satoria Tomberlin, Joanne Richard, Lauren Passell, Kathleen Doolin, Chloe Young, Kathy Coinger, Mackenzie Atterman, Don Waltz, Megan Cook, David Kahn, Lee Zolte, Danielle Webb, Terry Carp, Tony Jobert, Jennifer Wolf, Bruce Assam, and Janelle Vreeland, Elizabeth Hermancy, Helen Franz, Megan Siebert, Haley Rumbach, 
Angela Buster, James Dubois, Megan McBean, Lisa Strawn, Diane Suther, Christine Vasco, Leslie Burnside, Kristen McHugh, Katie Graves, Brooke Vanderford, Jeff Brumley, Bridget Keown, Faith Schuler, Amy Christenthal, Dawn D, and Christy Lewis. Kathy Moon, Carrie Savage, Lori Wernick, Lisa Doran, Elizabeth Gardner, Melissa Smith, Karen Clark, Dave Fisk, Rachel Acosta, Lauren Thomas, Jennifer Rosenberger, that's my sister-in-law, Leanna Motter, Carmen Pipinger, Jennifer Judy, Lisa Jebson, Jordan Smith, Marilyn Johnson, Stephanie Ozen, Holly West Polly. Melanie Coleman, Ali Donnell, Lisa Moan, Jenny Taylor, Jamie Piscatelli, Mary Riley, Rachel Harrison, Lisa McGuire, Teresa Robertson, Stephanie Tyson, Melissa Peck, James Perrins, Lauren Hawkins, Emily Porter, Samantha Leaf, Heather Hill, Nicole Bullman, Petty Ringenberg, Christy Anderley, and Carrie Rourke. Robert Zimmerman, Deborah Wythop, Lisa Kerr, Rebecca Jones, Jennifer Ruth, Anita Cranford, Alyssa Root, Rebecca Gellner, Bonnie West, Sarah O'Reilly, Austin Woolfolk, Bruce Assam, Melissa Hodenfeld, Susan Hall, Ann Rogers, Kate and Kimberly from A Date with Dateline, and 21 other anonymous donors. So thank you for all that. And maybe we can do it again next year. Wow. I feel like you read Bruce Assam twice. I'm just Yes, say. I was about to say Bruce Assam. You totally did. By the way, maybe he donated twice. So there's that. Bruce Yay. Assam, Bruce Assam. Yeah. yeah, Bruce. Can I give him twice? We're so just going to nice. leave it in. We named yeah, him twice. Yeah, he gave it yeah. twice. Woo, Bruce. Maybe he didn't, but we read you twice anyway. Congratulations, Bruce. Maybe it was one of those scam things from last <laughs> week, when the last episode, where he donated in uh, oh, wow, gift cards from Walgreens. Wow, yeah. there's a lot of names. I'm sorry to those of you who are not read and had to sit through all those names, but those of you who were read, thank you so much. You helped Kevin become the top fundraiser in that uh, fundraiser and raise more than $5,000, right? Yeah. For the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire. It's incredible. All right. Well, I think we should just get to um, this evening's review. What do you think, Kevin? Do it. I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. Both Anna Mendieta and Carl Andre were incredible artists. This could have been a story about a romance between two fascinating people, but their story ends in a 911 call. Anna Mendieta was a provocative performance artist. Her husband was the mercurial, legendary sculptor, Carl Andre. They were the it couple of the New York art scene until 1985, when Anna mysteriously fell from their 34th floor apartment after an argument. The weather was pretty high. I understand that she was a short woman. And in order for her to jump, she would have had to go up on a chair on the edge of the bed. Uh, but accidentally fall from that? No, it's, it's, it, unless she was sitting up there, which I understand that she was afraid of heights. To us, that was not possible. Andre's arrest for his wife's death split the artistic community. 35 years later, those who knew the couple remained tight-lipped on what they think happened that night. Most folks don't want to discuss what happened that night. They don't want to talk about what the ramifications of that night were on the art world. They don't want to contemplate what it means when a community is torn apart by violence. And they don't want to discuss whether or not justice has been served. From Pushkin Industries and something else comes the podcast Death of an Artist. Host and museum curator Helen Molesworth revisits Anna's death and the trial that followed and examines the silence and the protests that have accompanied this story ever since. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Death of an Artist, 
So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So Kevin, you know what this podcast reminds me of? What? Um, Full disclosure, I'm going to be bleeping out the names in my editing process, Mm -hmm. but it reminds me of this past weekend when another podcaster told us that a famous actor murdered his wife and everybody knows it, but nobody will talk about it. (laughs) Uh, You know what I'm talking about? This idea that like somebody famous murdered their wife and like people know, but the people around them just don't seem to give a shit, right? Yeah, I don't know if people don't give a shit, but there is certainly something here about maybe it's privilege Mm. that there's oftentimes you're willing to not look at it critically because the person who's been accused is somebody that you're friends with or you identify with them for some other reason or they just have a lot of money and connections. And that's a couple things going on in this case. Some of the things that Carl Andre had going for him in 1985. So. Yes, I mean, I think, you know, talking about it later, I mean, think, you know, I don't know how many of OJ's friends are still like, yeah, you know, whatever, but uh, it's kind of what happens when somebody goes through the process and if there is a conviction that's sort of like, it's said and done, it's done and dusted, we can we can wipe our hands of it. And when there's an acquittal, we're kind of like, well, what do we do with that? How do we regard this person? Yeah. Laura, it is kind of a mat- hard to imagine. Like, imagine like, Sorry, Kevin. Imagine Kevin died in a mysterious way. I'm sorry, and I was like, Can we just imagine Rebecca died in a mysterious way? No. No, oh, shit. Okay. All right. Reverse so, it. Because right. this is the situation in which Laura would come pick me up from the police station, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying I totally to, would. I'm trying to put With my Laura, defense attorney friends. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to put Laura in the shoes of Andre's friends here, right? Like, yes. you came pick me, pick me up from the police station. Yeah. And then you are on the side of all the people who are like, well, it's just hard to imagine, even though Rebecca gave two different stories to the police that night, you know, it's hard to, I mean, could it be that Rebecca killed Kevin? I mean, you could see it dividing a community and dividing mm-hmm. friends, even though all signs might point to Rebecca defenestrating Kevin. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is like, I thought was so interesting is this art community and the people that knew both of them for their own sort of respective sort of eccentricities. And, you know, it's like you, you might have these sort of private ideas that you were like, oh, I'm kind of being judgy about Rebecca because I think like, oh, man, she's jealous of Kevin's art career. But then when Rebecca kills Kevin, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. So that part was really interesting. And the fact that, All these years later, the lines remain. And I think that was something that Kevin and I both had written in our notes is like, all these years later, the lines remain. Are we going to learn anything new? Is anybody going to crack? Are we actually going to learn something different about the case? Because the loyalties are pretty entrenched. Yeah. Now, so Toby, you said an interesting note because I listen to this podcast. I don't know a ton about the New York art scene in the 80s other than what I'm being told in this podcast and what I've seen in pop culture it all sounds very Jack Holy to me, to be completely honest with you. And this guy, Carl Andre, sounds like a super asshole to me. But you sent a note and you said like this, it was not just sort of an uncommon personality at this time, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the the sort of unironic macho male genius figure, that was still like 100% on in the 80s. I know it's funny because when you were talking about 
Carl Andre and like people kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt or, or, you know, not being willing to really condemn him. I mean, I feel like that's something that happens with that kind of male artistic quote unquote genius. I think William Burroughs shot a woman killed her like playing William tell like he was going to shoot an apple off her head and actually shot her in the head. Hmm. Norman Mailer stabbed his girlfriend during a fight in the kitchen. Like these are just stories that I've heard. I'm sure there's like tons more of them, but it's like these things that, that are just like in the end their, their reputations aren't really tarnished by it. And as a matter of fact, it's like it almost part of their legend that they did these like fucked up things. So yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's different today and maybe not in this particular instance of like people like coming around to believe different things about the actual events of Anna Mendieta's death. But, you know, the macho male genius thing is sort of fallen out of favor. I think people who put themselves out there, you know, there are people who have, I mean, I can think of a few people who sort of try and inhabit that role, but it's not as sort of culturally acceptable as broadly as it used to be. I think a lot of people are like, look, man, this is, (laughs) this is severely like retrograde at this point. Um, So anyway, I I just felt like this whole thing, like you had to keep in mind, this is the eighties. Like there were like a lot of different sort of cultural assumptions and standards at that time that make some of the stuff more understandable and then make some of the things that they talk about, which today don't seem super radical, but at the time probably seemed very provocative. Yeah. When you were talking, I was thinking about like Arthur Miller, right? And like his marriage to Marilyn Monroe, which I've, and like, you know, I, it's like, I thought like, think, think about it, the macho male genius, like, or, you know, people who, Woody Allen, I mean, it's like somebody, not macho, but it's people who get away with shit because they're perceived to be the quote genius. And this is somebody who like, I don't know, Kevin, sounds pretty fucking clear to me that he pushed his wife out this fucking window. Well, I think it sounded clear to the people in the delicatessen. Yeah. Where they could hear the nose and the screams. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kevin, what do you think about just... But I have to say, just for the sake of discussion... Okay. She did a lot of really kind of out there performance art. (laughs) Do you think? I mean, this could be like the ultimate performance art? Uh, No. I do not. I do not. Just kidding. What is she making a comment on? I mean, what's it... (laughs) Domestic violence. Gravity. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know. Like, this is a commentary on, you know, at that time, we're not talking about intimate partner violence. Well, what do you think about all this work, Kevin? Because you actually made a note about that, too. Like, her work itself. Like, do you think her Her work work intersects with this crime in any way? No. Uh, (laughs) I do find her work really fascinating. There's a bit of, like, a Yoko Ono performance art vibe throughout of it. You know, she covers herself in blood or dirt or some other guy's beard hair. So it's a little confrontational. But, you know, is it art? Yes. That, is it, though? Yes. It's the same reason, like you say the same thing about is Carl Andre's paving work. putting stones on the ground art? No. If yes. You see There's more artistic work in the tiling in my bathroom. Then have you seen any of this guy's work? Subjective. Have you seen any of this guy's yes, work? Yes, of course I have. It's Carl Andre. Are you stupid? Of course I have. It's a bunch of bricks on the ground in a straight line. <laughs> and then another on top of that. Yes. And it's like, oh, okay. Have you seen Damien Hurst? He put a fucking dead fish in a box and that's art. No, it's art because he says, <laughs> oh, oh, it's magic. <laughs> you know who didn't put a bunch of bricks on the ground? You. 
Yeah, I did it. <laughs> I did it. But if I put it around and I said, oh, no, Carl Andre did it, and I give it some clever name, people would be like, oh, let's put it in a museum so people can walk on it. Yeah. Yeah, but then the question, of course, is it art? Is you, you know, are such a, a lot of people ask that. You're but, being such an old person right now. You're doing yeah. exactly what the people did in this, where they're like, oh. You mean how the great art critic for the... New York Times or whatever came Yorker, in. Yorker, yeah. Yeah, he thought, it was, he thought it was a mess, and then he just said, is this art? And when someone said yes, he's like, oh, I love it. <laughs> Secondly, you thought it was construction debris. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in 65 having a real epiphany, and I walked into the gallery, and there were piles of bricks on the floor. And I thought, oh, oh there's some construction going on. And I started <laughs> to leave the gallery, and then I thought, wait a minute. What if it's art? And I went and asked, and it was art, and I got so excited. Like a lot of this modern art stuff, I feel like the audience is pretty narrow, and it's people who are thinking about like what art is and stuff. So when you have something original to say about that, I think it really hits the critics in a way that people who like your average consumer of, you know, who get like a print to put up on their in their house, like myself included. I don't think I'm going to be necessarily looking to these two people for the stuff I want to be looking at every day, but that's not, that's not what they're- You don't want somebody doused in blood in your living room, Toby, making like dripping on your floor? Vagina shaped carvings (laughs) out of your fireplace? Vagina shaped coffin with blood doused over it? Well, that I might want, but the other (laughs) stuff, no. Um, (laughs) It's a busy weekday. And as pedestrians pass the puddle of blood, they notice it and casually step around it. Eventually, a man in a green and black plaid jacket pauses and looks around, as if looking for an explanation. When none comes, he walks away. This, like, sort of confrontational or sort of challenging what our notions of art are, the audience is very sort of art worldy mm-hmm. rather than sort of public, which is what the, the weird thing about. Carl Andre, it's he, he's got this like manifesto about like there should be nothing in between the artist and the audience, and there shouldn't be any critics or any museums and stuff. It's like your art is kind of impenetrable. Like it's hard to tell what the fuck you're thinking about unless there's somebody who's there to explain it, right? Because not every like the vast, vast, vast majority. And I like I took a ton of art history courses in college. I couldn't tell you what Carl Andre's like. I've got a basic idea of what he's trying to do, but it's not apparent to people who want to look at something and be like, that is a fucking cool painting. Or I really like the way he does that. Even like somebody like Jackson Pollock, I think is more accessible than the stuff that they're doing. Yeah. I mean, he's no Thomas Kincaid, right? He's no painter. Tom, of light. Yeah. He's not the painter <laughs> of light. <laughs> <laughs> they all turn their nose up at Norman Rockwell is just an illustrator, but I think he's really great. Of course you <laughs> do. Like the, the guy had something, had something he going had for something. him. Yeah, there was always a story. He the, knew how yeah. to make people look like people. Yeah. yeah. He didn't have like four fucking bricks on the floor and said, that'll be a million dollars, please. It's like even he's, and it's like bricks he found. I can't he, didn't believe, even, he didn't even bake the bricks I in an oven himself. I believe what this conversation has devolved into. This is awesome. This is crime writers, Crime writers on art. This is Our new spinoff. A woman is don't dead. Get me, don't get me started on modern poetry. A woman is dead. <laughs> I, don't get me started on any poetry. A woman is dead, and this is what we're talking about. 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section. Yes. What do we have going on in our Patreon, Kevin? Well, as usual, we have the Crime Writers on After Show. We also have a new episode of Married with Podcasts coming out. We do. What do we say in that episode? Well, we have a listener who uh, is talking about her sex fantasies. And she says that she likes it rough with a man, but gentle with a woman. Really? And she wants to know if she's broken. Spoiler, she's not broken. She's just fine. So we're going to go. Oh. What, Laura? Is this Sorry, a champagne like, room with Mary with podcasts? What? Whoa. I mean, to be fair, like, can we just be full disclosure? We haven't taped this one yet. I haven't even fucking heard this question. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. I'm, it's going to be good. I'm intrigued. Wow. Should we, like, turn the lights down for that one? <laughs> we tough. <laughs> I don't know, what are you going to do? You know what's so funny? We were at Obsessed Fest, every time the Generation Y guys would talk at any of the panels, they'd be like, guys, remember, we're just by ourselves in the dark in our basement recording a podcast. I'm like, why are you in the dark? Like, there are lights. It's not required that you be in the dark to make your show, guys. Like, it's okay to turn the lights on. Anyway... But I think we're going to turn the lights down for that one, it sounds like, right? All right, we'll do that. <laughs> also, Lara's coming out with a new episode of Leave It to Bricker, and you'll never guess what Lara did. What'd she do? She had coffee with half coffee with a cop day. Oh, good for her. I went to National Coffee with a Cop Day, which is a thing. Um, the Exeter Police Department actually does coffee with a cop like once a month. Um, this is supposed to be like a nice community building exercise where they like eat pastries. <laughs> and you ruined and, like, it. You ruined and it. I ruined, ruined it because I went in and I was like, who can we kill in Exeter? Uh, and I, see, it was I really prefer fun. fajitas with a fireman day. <laughs> you didn't go in and ask them about all their stats, about like their interactions with like people of color and stuff. You didn't ruin it that way. You ruined no. it by asking about murder scenes for your future. And then, and then I was like, who do you should like we kill? your coffee? Like, you like your suspects? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Weak. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So, Kevin, what else should people look out for in our like life here? Well, I think we should ask people again to sign up for our free newsletter. Mm-hmm. Just go to CrimeWritersOn.com. It comes out every Thursday. So later today, you'll get an email with a little more on our reviews, Crime Writers On Behind the Scenes. You'll get to see a, a photo of the dog or cat or iguana of the week, whatever yep. it is that Lara picks. We'll find out a little later. All sorts of neat stuff. It's all free. Also want to give one last plug, and this is for our These Are Their Stories live show. It's going to be on November 11th at the Bank of New Hampshire stage, and very convenient to get to from all parts of the nation, Concord, New Hampshire. Listen, people went to Columbus, Ohio from Australia. They can come to Concord, New Hampshire. Lara had a listener come from Indiana for her book launch, exactly. so yes. Yeah, come. It's only 25 bucks. We're going to be doing a great episode. Why is this the last SV- plug? It's not till November 11th. No, it's the last thing I'm plugging right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Try to keep up. All right, all right. So that's on November 11th. Keep going. Well, we're going to be doing a great episode from Special Victims Unit. We're going to go back to one of our favorites. It's called Inconceivable. It's the best. It's the one where somebody steals all the embryos in the Special Victims Unit. Because there there are no more special victims than those little embryos. That's right. Uh, Yeah, it's very funny. And uh, our guests for that live show are going to be Nick Capodice and Hannah McCarthy from the Civics 101 podcast. It's the Mm. best. I'm so excited about it. All right, so Kevin, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon 
patron saints of the week this week. Our Patreon patron saints are Logan Levine and Sam Roebuck. Bless you. Bless you guys. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Thanks for everyone who does support us there and who doesn't. Consider doing it because there's, what, more than 300 extra pieces of content back there? More than. Yeah, come join us. It's a fun family back there. But even if you're not a patron, thanks for muscling through the business section. And Kevin, I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out so we can get back to the show. What do you think? Let's do it. So, Laura, you cannot deny here that we have a host who should be telling this story, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the thing is we have this person who um, is somebody that has worked in the art world. She is familiar with both of the people. She's definitely somebody that has her own sort of preconceived notions about both of the people. And I think that was really interesting that she's bringing that to the story in terms of confronting her own sort of biases. You know, she remembers seeing Andre's work in the 1980s. And at that time, she had a different opinion of him. And, you know, now it's sometime later. She's a curator. She's working in the art world. She's at a museum. And she is thinking about, like, you know, should we still be putting his artwork out there? Because, yes, he was acquitted, but there's still, like, this segment of the art world that thinks he's guilty. And so I thought that was really interesting to have somebody, because. I like the way she's telling the story. I like the writing. I like the way that the podcast is presented. And I think that she is sort of that population that you want to tap into, you know, in terms of who actually is, you know, contemplating, is this right? Is this wrong? Should we still be displaying his art? And and the person who always also has that sort of historical perspective about when they were both here and they were both alive and both of them were putting their artwork out there. And so I think... She's definitely somebody that brings a really good perspective to this. And, you know, I'll be curious to see where it goes, like I said earlier, in terms of if anybody says anything different. But I think having that sort of like historical knowledge of the art world and also her own opinion of Andre and and how that has changed over the years, I thought was really interesting. Hmm. So, Kevin, we have here two artists who are married to one another. Mm hmm. And it sounds like he really likes to talk about who is more famous and who is getting more exposure than the other. <laughs> yeah. uh, how did you feel about sort of this couple being together, trying to occupy a creative space? Oh, well, uh, I might be able to relate on really? some level. Yeah, well, it comes to like, we have a couple here that are in the same artistic field, and they both have opinions on art and the industry and the craft. And I know it can sometimes be frustrating if it becomes argumentative and not collaborative. No, it especially can't. if you <laughs> especially if one of them has a big personality, right? Toby, don't make eye contact. <laughs> but for them it just seems there's no space where they are for collaboration because art isn't a team sport, right? So they're always gonna be competitors for different things, for gallery space, for money, for attention, for critical acclaim. And then I think they're like sometimes they're like actors who are married like, you know, the couples that are married like each one has their own career, maybe musicians. In that sense, they're always going to be competing against one another. And if somebody's on top, I mean, somebody's on the bottom. And that's where resentment can come in. And at least to the extent that this seemed to have been a contributing factor in the argument that happened right before she was defenestrated. Hmm. Oh, I wanted to say that. I love that word. So whether or not she uh, 
committed suicide because she was upset that she wasn't as famous as her husband or it was a motivating factor in, you know, why she was pushed. I don't know. It's it's something. Yeah. So I have a question because it doesn't sound to me, Toby, like she was super competitive. It sounded like it was like a him thing about like who is more well known in the art world. Did you get any impression at all that Anna was like, no, it's me who's well known in the art world. I didn't really get the sense that that was a her thing at all unless I missed something in the podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it certainly isn't presented that way, although I think she clearly has some thoughts about patriarchy and, you know, male well, yeah. violence and things like that. So so I don't know mm-hmm. if that plays a part in it. But again, it's, it, you know, it's the male macho male genius thing, right? It's, it's, it's very threatening when there's a woman who is trying to occupy your space, so to speak. And I, and I think that's, you know, part of the macho male genius is, is some misogyny, right? It's yeah. women can't do this. I was really fascinated by her story of being this like kid from Cuba who was part of this like relocation program who uh-huh. just happened to end up in Iowa and just happened to end up in this like prestigious art program. Because I mean, you guys know, I mean, Toby, I know that you know that like that's like the hardest artistic program for writing and like so forth and art to get into, like one of the most competitive programs like in the United States. Right. And, and like it's just like just happens to end up there and just like happens to kind of be around these people. And this idea that this like rape and murder happens there and that becomes the inspiration for the art. I don't know. I actually found this idea of this uh, art piece where she's putting the blood on the doorway and seeing if anyone does anything. That sounds like really contemporary to me. It seems to me like something that someone could do right now. Um, It's like a Kitty Genovese kind of situation, right? Yeah. But I think that's why it was like doing it in 1985 probably seemed more transgressive or more radical Mm. than it would now because I think things like bystander actions and stuff like that, I think it's more of a thing now than it was back then. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting. And it shows a few things around that murder, right? Where there's the other one where she's like naked been over a table covered in animal blood and inviting yeah, people up. Yeah, that was crazy. You know, so it's, it's obviously, you know, she's trying different things to provoke reactions and then seeing what happens. And at least in one of them, like not much, but she catches yeah. it on film and that's, that's the point. Yeah. So Laura, in the back of your head somewhere, you think that maybe this was some sort of like art experiment gone wrong? <laughs> No, I was just, I was, I was just being, uh, yeah. I mean, I think the thing is like when you, you keep hearing about the type of performance art that she's doing, I mean, every time she does something like Toby said, she's eliciting a reaction and it's like, you've got like the thing in the forest where she's like covering her whole body except for one piece. And they're like dumping blood on her. And I'm like, first of all, where is all this blood coming from? Like Kathleen Zellner was not around at that time. Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you go to the butcher. Yeah. I, and I think that so much of like listening to the type of art projects that she was doing, so much of it to me felt like things that were really designed to elicit an emotional sort of visceral reaction. And so I'm like, oh, my God, she's uh, but no, I mean, it, it seems pretty clear she's afraid of heights and obviously she's getting ready to divorce this guy. You know, there's there's definitely other things. But on one hand. You're like, well, she was doing all this other stuff. Like, who's to say they didn't stage the greatest performance art of all time? Yeah. 
So, Kevin, how do you deal? And this is something we talked about before. I mean, this is somebody who, you know, I know, spoiler alert here, was acquitted of this crime. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to tell a story like this in that instance, right? Well, to tell the story? No. Well, I think, you know, there ends up being, in this particular case, a lot of pushback because he's still a quote unquote somebody Hmm. in the field. And there are people that are uh, loyal to him because they admire his work or they depend on financially on his uh, well-being. You know, I'm I'm a little more interested in, like you said, we were talking about, you know, there were protests out, but occasionally, right? It isn't like these protests follow him everywhere, but on occasion they'll crop up, you know, when there's going to be a showing. And, you know, you kind of wonder when we talk about people that go through the system and when it's over, they've been exonerated or they've been acquitted, whether or not you think that's right or not. You've got Carl Andre, you've got Bill Cosby, you've got O.J. Simpson, you've got Adnan Syed. Hmm. It's like, how do you look at these people and how do you treat them? Are they not entitled to not the presumption of innocence, but their legal innocence? Does that mean that they can't make a living, that they can't do this, they can't do that? Yeah, but Adnan Syed didn't do it and this guy did. All right, we'll put Adnan aside. (laughs) Okay. You know, you say, well... You know, I mean, you try, in my opinion, for, this for, guy even did. not for murder, even that, you know, just like some something else. Like he's like, okay, well now you can never be uh whatever what you know, job that you had before, you have to go work as a custodian because that's the only thing that anybody thinks you, you should be. Or, right. I'm, you know, just, it's, but I'm talking about the I don't have of, an answer to yeah. that. How but you know, if you want to be provocative, how about instead of laying five bricks on the fucking floor, how about you think about I mean you you Chew on that for a while. I'm talking about just telling the journalistic story because, like, there are minefields. Oh, well, you mean like you can't say that he pushed her out the window because he you, was can't, you can't back that up. Yeah, legally. Yeah, you, you can say, no, you just slandered me or libeled me. So, yeah, yeah there, there are challenges to that. And I think those are some of the things that Helen has to uh, has to navigate around. So, Toby, one quick thing that I thought was really interesting in this podcast was the use of archive interview tape. Helen tells us that all of the interviews that we hear in this tape were actually for a book that was written like a really long time ago. And they happened in like restaurants and bars and so forth from people who don't want to talk about this anymore today. I think that's really interesting because we have people on the record who won't go on the record now, but they're saying what they said then. And all I can think about when I hear that is... What would they think about the fact that they said that then and the fact that we're hearing it now? You know what I mean? Like, I went on the record then, but I won't go on the record now, but I went on the record then, and it's being used today in this story. So on one level, we had good discussions, but then as they proceeded to get um, drunk or, or things, mm-hmm. it was just a kind of strange, neurotic interaction between them. between them that you would witness. Mm-hmm. They were very loud. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I find that to be a very interesting journalistic question. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I think Pushkin Industries is <laughs> like, I hope they uh, have got their bases covered with that. Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, whether those people regret having said things, you know, as a reporter on that kind of stuff. I think you have to be glad that they were on the record at some point so that you've got that piece of information. I mean, it certainly advances like the themes of the story uh, that they said it then and won't say it now. And I think it also kind of talks about how, you know, things have changed. And I think she, 
she does talk a little bit about it. There's like this brief thing where she talks about how Me Too and all these different things have come up since all this happened. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting. It's something that that I've kind of run into before. And when you're talking about what well, Pushkin Industries had themselves covered, I think what you're referring to is that these people thought they were being interviewed for a book and not right. for an audio project, right? Right. So, you know, is that... Is it fair uh, use for that tape? That's what I kept correct. thinking about, too. It's like somebody was in a restaurant. They thought they were being interviewed for a print piece mm-hmm. and not for a podcast because a podcast didn't exist back in like 1980, whatever. That's all I could think about the whole time. And I was like, whoa. Well, you know, when you're on the record, you're on the record. You're on the record, you're on the record, but sometimes the medium is actually a point of contention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Death of an Artist? It's a new podcast, only a few episodes out so far. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Um, I'm going to go thumbs up. I thought this was a really interesting story. I liked the person that was telling it had a really deep knowledge of the art community and the art world and sort of her own personal connection to the people involved in this in terms of her own impressions of them from her experiences in the past. And I mean... How can you go wrong with a vagina-shaped coffin in the woods filled with blood? I mean, Mm. like, you got to listen to it just for that fact. So, thumbs up. Toby Ball, what do you think? Well, Rebecca, you know how I feel about feuds within a subculture. Yes, you do. This has got it in spades. Um, No, I really like this podcast. I'm really looking forward to listening to the rest of it. I think she does a really good job of setting the scene in which all this takes place. So you do get a good sense of the 80s art world. You get a sense of sort of the gender politics and stratification that's going on then, personalities, how sort of insular it was and small it was. So all this stuff I I thought was super interesting. Uh, I think it's really well put together. I think sort of the interview stuff they have both archival and uh, current is all good. So I'm, uh, this is an enthusiastic thumbs up from me. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, thumbs up. I feel like this podcast is probably more, it feels more like a pleasant art history study than a true crime investigation. Like I don't think we're going to get a lot of true crime in this, but perhaps more insight. That's fine. This is called death of an artist. It's not called defenestrated. Which is what you would have called it? I would have called it Defenestrated, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I do like the host. She's got the bona fides for like an art-centric story. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Beth Ann Patrick from Missing Pages that we just talked about. You know, it's kind of an insider looking at the, the stories that uh, nobody wants to talk about. And I do like her reading style. I think the production is paced pretty well. My concern would be, are they going to be able to land this plane? Because Hmm. it has a beginning, it has a middle. I'm not quite sure where this story ends or where you can say, okay, now it ends with it being satisfying. So, you know, with the caveat that they can figure that part out, I, I think it's worth a listen. Yeah, I like this podcast, too. My one issue with this podcast is I wish that Helen Molesworth had a better microphone and was in a better studio uh audio setting that was honestly that was actually very distracting to me because like i love helen millsworth writing i love helen millsworth narration but it just sounded a little bit like um 
COVID to me. And I, I feel like the podcast deserved better audio quality than that, which is a, a nitpick. Also, the thing that I really kept striking me with this podcast was that like, this is a hard sell, a story like this, a story about a woman who died in an obscure community of like artists and the person who allegedly killed her was acquitted and, you know, it's, it has like a big backing of fans and there's probably a lot of legal issues wrapped around the telling of this story. This was probably a hard sell to get made and it got made anyway. And I have to say, like I was listening to it and I was like, this was probably hard to pull off, hard to sell and hard to pull off. And yet it was pulled off. And I I really admire that. And I was listening to the credits and I was like, oh, my God, I know like a couple of people in the credits of this. And I'm actually not surprised that they were the ones who managed to get this pulled off. Um, so, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised um, by how thoughtful and contemplative and interesting this is. And I actually think Anna's story on its own would be an interesting podcast with less Carl in it. I think that if I have one critique, it would be I would do more of. I mean, I love I love the beginning of the podcast. I love the Cuba part of the podcast. And I think I would maybe center Anna even more in the podcast because her story is fascinating. So, yeah, I'm thumbs up for Death of an Artist. I'm really, really enjoying it so far. And all my issues with it are kind of nitpicky. All right. That's going to do it for us. But Laura Bricker, before we go, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, we have a crime slash dog of the week this week. What's that? This comes to us from Lisa Spaulding, and Lisa sent a lovely picture. Lisa says, I would like to pass the crime writers on asshole dog of the week torch from my late dog Wrigley to my current little bleep bleep Gil. He stole my copy of Laura's book off my nightstand last night while I was in the bathroom, brought it to his crate and tried to eat it. Mm. He ate the final curtain. Well, the picture on the left was during the bargaining phase, trying to get it back while plying him with treats. I managed to save the book from certain death, but as penance, I want to make him dress as a goldfish. He is named after the goldfish from What About Bob? Oh. Thoughts? Well, who doesn't like to devour a good book? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Something they can really sink their teeth into. That's so good sad. Kevin. Well, I, can I, there ought to be Leia, the gonna, corgi that I met at Was he going to dog ear the I know. pages? Oh. I did see the corgi that you sent, Rebecca, but Kevin sent it. He's like, Rebecca wants us to be dog of the week. Kevin, can we put Leia, the corgi in the newsletter, too, as the runner-up? Tell me about Leia the Corgi. Just give me like the synopsis. Met Leia the Corgi at Obsessed Fest. Leia the Corgi was cute as fuck. That's all I have to say about it. Like there's no story. Is that the one whose um, owner is like this Glamazon? No, it's the one who we met when we were sitting at the little lobby and it came over and was like, oh my God, a Corgi. And it was so cute. I've got a picture on my phone. I'll show it to you. So weren't you guys going to get a Corgi at one point, but somebody overruled it? I thought about it, but I didn't want a hair dog. I wanted a hair dog because of Kevin's allergies. They're real though. I'm not making fun of them. They are actually real. I know, he gets allergic to my cat. Plus also, by the way, it is nice not having fucking fur all over your shit. I have to say. It's really, really nice. All right, that's going to do it for us. So Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and pitch their animals, literally any kind of animal to be cat of the week whether they're good or bad or but they should be alive i actually prefer a live animal how can they find you on twitter they can find me at lara bricker and uh, send them my way also you can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com toby ball folks want to reach out to you and say i also enjoy a feud among subcultures how can they find you on twitter at toby ball and h 
Kevin Flynn, what about you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or the very weird Be Real, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. See how I keep pimping that, Kevin? No one has followed me No one yet. wants to. I know. It's just really weird. I really like it. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. It's rad. Everyone there is wonderful. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Just go there, hit join the group. We'll let you in if you're not weird. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get all the incredible content we have there. Everyone who's a patron says that it is worth it. They seem to like it. Uh, they're better spokespeople than I am. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very, very smart, nearly college graduated Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin covers his naked body in mud and asks people to step on him as part of a larger social commentary on the excesses of capitalism. I am a uterus! On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you... Later. Later. Oh my gosh, can I run and go pee real quick? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, hold on. On someone's grave? Um, no, in my toilet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>